Literature and contemporaneity. That's what we do. We've really come to a point where we like the other person to say the other word. We do. I think we've really gone with the <laughs> alternate. We have. We're sharing. It's sharing is caring. Sharing is caring. It's a beautiful mm. thing. You're with us again for another episode. Um, this is episode two of season two. Season two, two. Exciting times. Mm. So we hope uh, you've caught up on our 2018 thus far. <laughs> it's only been Helen Duncan. <laughs> So not too much to catch up on. No. Great. Excellent. Good times. How are you today, Alicia? Okay, look, Ooh. I've had a cocktail and a wine yeah. and let's be honest, maybe a little bit tipsy. Oh, yeah, me too. Except I also have the added advantage of uh, mixing some cold and flu tablets into that. Is that an advantage? Would we call that an advantage? Disadvantage. <laughs> well, either way, it's hopefully going to make... For a, a fun episode. Pretty rollicking time. I'm, I actually feel like I need to state that because I might be a bit more nasal than normal. Oh, that's okay. Uh, so if I do sound more nasal. Nasal. because I have a cold. You also sound rather <laughs> I a could lot do like... the whole episode like prude and true. Yeah, you do sound that's a lot like That's my favourite. No. <laughs> Maybe don't. Let's not. That's okay. Look, don't worry about that. I'm shrill all the time. <laughs> I'm just 100% shrill 100% of the time. So where are we going today, Alicia? Well, because last week we looked at Helen Duncan and that was inspired by one of our live shows. About uh, one of our five-star live shows that we did very recently as part of the Adelaide Fringe. I just that dro- one. dropped that five-star reference in there really subtly, Lauren. Yes. So that uh, Helen Duncan episode was inspired by Madame Blavatsky, mm. a, a medium. And so I thought that today our episode would be sort of inspired or at least tied up with the uh, period of time that our first live show was about, which was 17th century France. Indeed. We Le looked at King Julie Daubeny. In the Sun Kings. That's right. So we're going, palace. we're pretty much going to go to the palace of Louis XIV. Versailles. Versailles. Home we're, of the Sun King. We are, that's right, we're One going of the most back. opulent kings. Yeah, so decadent. Yeah, Louis, opulent splendor. Louis XIV was fabulously decadent. So we're going to delve into a little bit of that wonderful decadence of Versailles again today. And hopefully, now this is actually the thing is I was thinking is that neither of us have watched that show Versailles. Oh, you know what? I think I've actually watched the first episode. Oh, have you? Yes. Yeah, because some people obviously out there may well know of the show Versailles that was made maybe a couple of years yeah, ago. Yeah, it's not. It's pretty recent. Pretty recent, and you've probably watched all the episodes, and I might end up perhaps recapping some of the stuff that was in that mm. show. I wouldn't know because I haven't watched it yet, even though I kept meaning to. This is a show that I keep wanting to come back to, but unfortunately there's that whole thing of having time. Yeah. Yeah. So I keep slipping away from it, but yeah. Anyway, so if you've watched Versailles, then you might... or. If you just happen to know a bit about like 17th century France anyway you might be a bit across what we're going to be doing today what's her name we're going to be talking about a woman who was born Catherine Deschaise 
Deshaies. Deshaies. So we're going to be talking about a woman who was born, Catherine Deshaies, but ended up being known, most well known as La Vosson. La Vosson. Vosson. Oui. Oui. Très bien. Très bien. Yeah, I'll just keep repeating your French. <laughs> so Catherine was born circa 1640. And of course we say circa 1640 because this was a period in history where birth dates weren't that exact. Yeah, no going down to the registry office to fill out a birth certificate. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So yeah. birth dates are in a fairly inexact science at this period of time. So around about 1640. And she was born to a poor woman. But this poor woman... When I say this poor woman. This poor this woman. This poor woman. Well, she did have to give birth in 1640, so, you know, poor not, woman. Not great times. No. But what I mean by that was she was not very wealthy. But she was also a sorceress. Oh. She was a sorceress. Whoa, that was, okay, you just threw that in there. So That's Kath- great. That changes everything. So Catherine's mother was a sorceress. and now Of this course, is, that's amazing. This is an interesting thing because this word sorceress, I think, is going to play an interesting role in Catherine. Catherine as we talk about her today because Catherine did refer to herself more as a sorceress or was often referred to as a fortune teller and words are very important because in the end what a lot of people end up talking about is they're talking about witches. Witches, yes. The distinction between where do you draw the line between a sorceress and a witch and a fortune teller and a... What do all these words mean? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And these words are very powerful words because of course obviously the word witch is so loaded with negative connotations. Well, the French word for witch though is les sorcières. So there you go. So she's a sorceress. Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually not sure if they're... This is very ancient French. I haven't studied French for 10 years. But I'm not sure if there is a distinction between... (laughs) Ancient. Ten years. (laughs) Ten years. Ancient Ancient in the context of my life. Yeah. I'm not sure how much of a distinction there is between witch and sorceress. Well, maybe there's somebody out there that could look it up and get back to us and let us know. Hopefully. Some expert in the the difference in words. the etymology between witch and sorceress in France. Etymology is such a fun thing. I know I love it, but I'm such a nerd. Let's not get distracted by it right now, though. Okay. Okay, sure. So her mother was a sorceress. So her mother was a sorceress. And her father was a hamster. (laughs) Oh, Monty Python references. (laughs) Where are we going? No, no Monty Python references. What this did mean was that from a very young age, she did learn a few tricks of the trade. So even from the age of nine, she started to learn fortune telling as a proper trade. Yep. So she started out quite young. Now, obviously, she carried on doing this, and we'll skip ahead because, to be honest, it's France in the 17th century, and she wasn't a particularly wealthy person, so not much of her life is documented. Of course. Because that's what happened. Why wouldn't it have been? That's what happened. If you're poor, and why would this be written down? So we'll skip ahead to uh, probably what's the next most important event in her life, was her marriage at the end. Oh, my God. I was going to say sarcastically say her marriage at let me guess the age of 17 well no she was 20 actually 20? she was around over about the 20. hill oh yes, my god that's right for a 17th but of course it was her marriage what other major life event that's worth documenting happens in the life of a young woman not a lot a peasant woman in truth. france no so she was married at, a, at roughly the age of 20 and again you know we can't say for sure because Dates and ages, they were all very vague um, at this point of history. But she was a young woman. She was a young woman. And she was married off to an Antoine Monvoisson. And this is where she gets the Lavoisson. Vosson. That uh, she becomes known by later in life. And he was basically a merchant. He was a jeweler and a silk merchant. But he was not a very good jeweler or silk merchant. He wasn't a good jeweler or silk merchant. He sucked. He was quite bad at it. So he had a shop in Paris. Was it a shop on a bridge? 
I like to imagine all merchants in Paris in the 17th century as having their shops on bridges. I think it was in like Pont Marie. Is that that sounds Pont? Like, that's Pont's a bridge. Pont's Holy bridge. shit! It is a bridge. Yeah. When you yes. When you said that, I was like, I'm pretty sure his shop was like in Pont Marie, oh and Pont it is, was a, on a, is bridge. a bridge. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. He had a yes. shop on a bridge. That's that's excellent. That just totally fills in my fantasy. Good. I'm pleased. I'm that I could ready do that to for continue. You. Good. So he had a shop on a bridge. But he sucked at at <laughs> um, being a, a silk and jewel merchant, so he went bankrupt really early on. But what this meant was that Catherine thought, well, you know what? In which case, I'll just return to my fortune telling ways. Yeah, of course, she's she's got to make her own way in the world. And she became the breadwinner for the family. Get out of business. Yeah, but okay, because I think this is actually a really interesting thing when we're talking about fortune telling, because that's really typically a very feminine pursuit. But legitimately, a really, a kind of socially acceptable way for women to earn money. Because I imagine otherwise her options are probably working like in a laundry or working as a maid. Mm, Um, And so fortune telling is really comfortable. Yes. You get to be sitting in a lovely chair well talking to people all day. Because her husband sucked so much at being a silk merchant in his shop, she basically turned his shop into her fortune into her parlor yeah. into her fortune way better than working parlor. in a laundry yeah. or something like that like so yeah she turned it to her advantage and rather than being a devastation that sent the whole family to the poorhouse she managed to actually become pretty much the breadwinner yeah. of the family yeah because it takes quite a lot of business acumen to be a successful to have her own business I'm, and this is the thing that's, that's like so many women would women would have been so capable of being entrepreneurial mm. and being independent business people, but they're just not given those opportunities because they can't have a trade. And essentially, being a fortune teller kind of is like a trade. Oh, definitely. You know, there's a lot of skills that you need to learn. You need to learn how to work with people really closely and how to like bring in clients and Yeah. And also speaking of it being like a trade and speaking of fortune telling as kind of being something that at the time was was fairly legit is also that what she studied chiromancy is kind of like the idea of not only the idea of palm reading but also the idea of face reading so chiromancy was basically like an offshoot of physiognomy the study of the face that's right and physiognomy was actually for a very long time considered a legitimate science yeah i mean and by this period of history it had started to sort of be dismissed really yeah it had started to be dismissed already i mean already because phrenology was still to come like in the victorian times they were into phrenology and that's like next level physiognomy yeah but it had already sort of started to be debunked as a legitimate science leonardo da vinci had um turtle and not the heartthrob no oh the ninja turtle yeah had already sort of debunked this as not a legitimate science but it was still floating around as as actually something that you could rely on to tell yeah. you basically a person's characteristics and their personality yeah. through the features of yeah. their face. Yeah, like criminals have like wide set eyes and large jaws and exactly big all of noses. this sort of stuff. Yeah. So really, when you think about it like that, I mean, Catherine had to study to learn all, yeah. all of this. But the know? other thing about fortune telling, of course, is about learning how to read people's faces, like their expressions. Mm. You know. Yeah. So all of this comes into the trade that she's peddling and into. How um, she's setting herself up, as we say, as an entrepreneur, as a as a businesswoman. So what she was doing was actually, you know, fairly well received. People were out for this all the time. Yeah. They wanted this sort of stuff. Yeah. And her clients included very well-to-do aristocratic sort of people who 
you know, they would kind of, they'd come down to the low people to yeah, get this kind of information. Because that's where you get the real stuff. It is, yeah. So probably some princess who like puts on her hood and her cloak and sneaks out of the castle and goes down to the docks and crosses the bridge and seeks out the old crony fortune teller. Yeah, crosses the pont. Crosses the crosses the pond. But she's not an old crony yet. No, she's not. She's actually really still quite young. In doing this, she ends up becoming the supporter of her family. And there's six of them, including her mother and children with her husband. So she did have children. Yeah, so they had children together. But reports actually suggest that, unfortunately, what this meant was that her husband, as you could kind of possibly imagine, felt a bit emasculated by this. And he actually took to the drink. Of course he did. And he became quite a bit of an alcoholic. And I bet that he would take her paycheck, her money, that she's her hard-earned fortune-telling, honest fortune-telling dollars, and took them down to the pub. Well, possibly. But she still earns enough to keep them afloat. So even if on he was bridge. taking... Yeah, on that bridge. <laughs> so many bridge puns we can... Anyway. Punting um, under the pond. Punting under the pond. Oh, let's stop it. Let's just move on. <laughs> he actually ended up becoming quite abusive towards uh, her, some some reports suggest. Look, it's not surprising. I actually think it would be more shocking to find a husband who wasn't an abusive drunk at yes, that time, exactly. to be perfectly frank. Yeah. Sadly, so, but it's true, yeah. especially yeah in those circumstances. So she actually did try to leave him a few times, but wasn't successful. But she did end up taking up quite a few lovers. Okay. So released herself... In that in way. way. In that <laughs> way. And among her lovers, her lovers included the magician Lesage. A magician? Yes. So we talk about sorceresses, but magicians were also a Okay, thing. now when we say magician in the 17th century, so there's two versions of magicians that I think of, right? There's magicians that belong to medieval times and they're like wizards, but then there's magicians of like the Victorian through to our times and they're like tricks, right? They're showmen. Houdini. Houdini, yeah. etc. right? Mm-hmm. So... I don't know what type of magician you've got in in the mid 1600s. This is a magician that is more along the lines of that kind of wizard idea, but also mixed with that priest kind right. of crossover. And so genuinely into magic and the occult. Yes. And yeah. Yeah. So very much the sort of the male version of what Catherine yeah. is doing herself. More perhaps more like an alchemist. And more like an alchemist. Yeah. yeah something yeah. more aligned to an alchemist. Yeah. But he was actually known as a magician. Sure. Actually, no, that makes sense because like I think a lot of alchemy at the time the word magician definitely would yeah. have been used yeah. then. Well I mean yeah. we're trying to make yeah. gold out of crap. Yes. Well, not well that's actually... That's not uh, really precise, That's is not it? really what they were doing. <laughs> uh, sorry, this is another one of my areas of expertise. Pet Technically, hate. it was metaphorical gold, but that's fine. Anyway. It's about the emancipation of the soul, reaching individuation. Sorry. Right. Let's not get distracted by that. <laughs> she took up with Lesage, the magician, and he became one of her key lovers. Sure, key lovers. Her main lovers. One her favourite lovers. One of her main lovers. lovers. And he actually did try to encourage her to have... Poor old Antoine killed. Oh. And in fact... Oh, killed. As mm. in, like, put out a hit on him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Shit. in fact, I have here a little description of what Lesage suggested that they do. This is out of Catherine's own mouth. This is from later. I'll tell you how we get Catherine's okay. version later on. We'll come to it. So, when Lesage advised that she got rid of her husband, he told her that it was time to get a sheep's heart, right? 
So a sheep's heart was bought to which Lesage did something. This is in Lesage. Did something. This is, in, this is in Catherine's words. Yep. He um, did something, quote unquote. Yep, that's right. specific. Yep. And then it was buried in the garden behind the gate. Monvasson, as in Antoine, my vis- my her vis- husband, yeah. her husband, yeah, yeah, was seized with severe pain in the stomach. He cried out that if there was anybody who wished to do it for him, he had better shoot him at once instead of letting him linger. Oh. Yes, that's right. So Catherine was struck with remorse and she hastened to confess at the church and obtain a general absolution. Uh, she took the sacrament and on her return compelled Lesage to undo his wicked charms. Ooh. Now, this is an interesting thing because I'm saying that she went to confess at church in order to obtain absolution because something as well we talk about the occult and we talk about this idea of fortune telling and the occult and these sort of i guess darkish arts but yeah catherine actually was a pious christian i was gonna say she was and let me guess she was catholic yes because there's a there's a lot of superstitious witchcrafty elements in old school Catholicism particularly in France and Italy heaps of it there was a lot of spells that they used that invoked like the Virgin Mary Mary Magdalene the saints like casting spells in a Catholic context and Mm. they would actually go to the church and get priests to like bless the candles Uh, they use holy water so yeah it's hugely tied up with genuine catholic ritual and that's part of the thing that a lot of the popes wanted to crack down on was the kinds of magic superstitious elements in catholicism yeah exactly so she was an incredibly pious woman she went to church and she prayed and um, because there wasn't really a distinction between like they wouldn't have seen this as being like devil worship in the same way that witchcraft was in both a Catholic and a Protestant tradition viewed as taking a pact with the devil. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, she perceived of her gifts as an actual gift from God. Yeah. So her powers to be able to read the future were because God willed her to read the future. But this is another reason why the church... Sorry, I'm interrupting you again. This is another reason why the church clamped down on it so much, though. It's because this kind of witchcraft element of Catholicism gave too much power to women, like to people who were not priests, who were not in positions of power and authority, particularly women. Mm. And so they needed to clamp it down and shut it and get rid of it. And this is actually a large part of what led to a lot of the witchcraft trials and this hysteria that grew. It's actually really because the threat of witchcraft was people being able to take their fates into their own hands and not need the intercession of a priest or the church to stand between them and God. If you have the ability to cast spells or practice magic in a godly way, then you have the power of God at your own fingertips. You have no need for the church, which means you have no need for what the church tells you to do. Yeah, you're no need for the patriarchy. Yeah. My friend. That's right. Because, of course, women at the time uh, were so much their power was tied up with the men in their family and yeah. all the men that they married, and power was something that was out of their grasp. And magic, this idea of magic, is something that appealed to them as a way to get power, as a yeah. way to actually be a powerful person who had agency yes. and had control over their own exactly. life. And, of course, related to that as well... Uh, is also the idea of she became a midwife too. Of course she did. And of course, course she did. This is something else as well. So we talk about, you know, magic and what we think of as witchcraft, what we can kind of call 
quote unquote, quote unquote witch, yeah. witchcraft, was a way of finding agency and power. But midwifery was also one of those things where women could actually have a job, a yes. career. And it's a really important one. You are all literally on the front lines of life and death. Yeah. And you're always going to be needed. Yes. Also, interestingly, so she became a midwife. And she also became pretty well known as the local abortionist. Uh, you Well, those two things go hand in hand. As well. I mean, so, I don't know if you would legitimately be a midwife, midwife and not have a side hustle in the abortion Side business. hustle? Yeah. Side hustle. Yeah, abortionist side hustle. Well, there's a whole bunch of herbs. Like, they all knew what they were doing. They sure did. They fucking knew. Yeah. Like. Yeah. So... This led to her gathering quite a bit of fame and fortune. Mm. She became really rather well-known. And she became, as I said, she had a lot of aristocratic clientele. And she became really quite wealthy. And she was known for having quite flamboyant sort of parties. And, oh, the other person that I forgot to mention when I was talking about her lovers, she also, one of her lovers was also the Parisian executioner. Oh. Um, So she took up with him, André Guillaume. Was the uh, local executioner? That's actually probably a really important person to have on your side. I think it's a pretty good person to be in with, get in with the local executioner. So she partied, she took lovers, she earned her fortune through her trade. Meanwhile, her husband is drunk, drunk, miserable, feeling emasculated. But she earned so much money that she was also, and because last episode we were talking about Helen Duncan and we were talking about that spectacle of the seance. Yeah. Well, she earned enough money to know that she also needed spectacle as well. Spectacle also played into what she did yeah so she put a lot of money into presenting herself as a fortune teller too and one specific thing that gets mentioned is she had apparently she had this beautiful cape this cloak that she had made that was made out of red crimson velvet and it had over 200 eagles embroidered on it whoa and apparently it cost something like 15,000 livres yeah. which we're not saying I don't think I'm saying correctly yeah, but I'm not actually sure it's like livre bef- livre livre it's before euro it's yeah. a long time before euro and before francs I and imagine interestingly I'd like to say that amount I don't really know what that translates to but every now and then I like to I mean we research our stuff in books and articles yeah. and elsewhere every now and then I just like to see what Wikipedia has to say yeah. I looked at Wikipedia and they had that number as 1,500 but I think they've got it wrong I think it's 15,000 right so oh so you got two different figures two different figures but the book said 15,000 and I'm going go with, with the book. book so it's a lot yeah. I don't know what it is, what it equates to, but it's a lot. She had a lot of money, and apparently she also had a skirt that matched, and apparently she had these little slipper shoes that well, she had made that also had eagles embroidered any kind on them. Of, I mean, imagine how much time it would take to embroider that many eagles into a velvet cape. That's going to be expensive. Yeah. Clothes were expensive back then. Any so kind of clothes expensive. was expensive. Yeah, and clothes actually are a really hugely important part of Louis' court as yes. well. Yes. Which we'll get to momentarily because we're about oh is she gonna go to the court we're about to just take a pause from Catherine's life and just quickly delve into something else that was going on at this particular point as well in history that is going to become very important to Catherine in Versailles Um, well in Paris in in Versailles yes but across Paris in general so we're just going to pause Catherine she's off having parties and having fancy clothes made and being generally wealthy and having a really good time 
good press the pause button. So we're going to delve into now something that was called the affair of the poisons. Oh, what the what? The affair of the poisons. The affair of the poisons. So has anyone written a book about, th- I want to read the oh, book Lauren, about the affair of the poisons. You're, you're way behind the eight ball there. There oh. are, there are quite a lot of books about the affair of the poisons. I was going to say, if they haven't been written, I'll, I volunteer. Yeah, I know. I had that same feeling. <laughs> I was like, fuck, I'm going to write a book about, oh, wait, no, never mind. Oh. That's been done. But I'm sure you could find a new angle. Yeah. Anyway, so the affair of the poisons. Now, this is something that began sort of in the 1670s and it carried on for a good sort of 10, 12 years-ish. And this whole thing sort of began at the point in history where Louis XIV was moving the French court from Paris to, to Versailles. From the so, Louvre. That's right. Side. So the French court had traditionally been in Paris, mm. but Louis XIV was obsessed with Versailles. It was just, just like his hunting lodge. It was a hunting lodge. It, it was. was like, fuck it, let's turn this hunting lodge into a grand old palace. Yes, into the most extravagant, decadent place we oh, possibly can isn't and it wonderful that's what he went and did it's the best so thanks louis for that <laughs> and actually only ruled france from versailles for something like 100 years until the re- revolution yeah. kicked them out anyway but we're not at that point in history at this point of time there is a trial of a woman a marquise de brinvieres now she confessed under torture so we all know mm. we all know what we can believe about confessions that are drawn out from torture thank you very much but she confessed through water torture, oh. which is the kind of torture where... Or oh, they dunk you. This No, this was the one where they would force feed you water. Oh, no. And you have to keep swallowing and swallowing no. and swallowing water. And constantly have the sense that you're drowning. Oh, no. So, that's the worst. So it's not, it's not happy times. So I mean, she, no torture is happy times. No, that's, exactly. That's so terrible. No wonder she confessed. But anyway, she confessed under torture to poisoning her father and her two brothers and also to attempting to poison her sister and her brother-in-law. This came out that she had killed her father and her two brothers through poisoning, right? And before she was put to death, she lamented that it was pretty unfair that she should die, considering that everybody else was doing this as well. Huh. And uh, the officials pretty much went, oh. oh everybody. Oh, eh? really? Oh, fuck. Everyone, well, then. Okay. That's problematic. So. Oh, it, this is how fucking witch trials get started, man. That's right. So. Rumours then started to spread like wildfire and poisonings as well started to spread like wildfire. <laughs> so poisonings and rumours went right. Is it because like a bunch of, I imagine that there's just like a bunch of miserable housewives with these loafish drunken husbands and then they hear about this trial and this woman has said, everybody's doing it. And they're like, everybody's doing it, A. Eh? Well then. Precisely, Lauren. Precisely. <laughs> and in fact, uh, Catherine herself even said later on that most of the women who came to her came to her for this particular reason. And this, again, this is quoting Catherine herself. Some women asked if they would not soon become widows because they wished to marry someone else. Almost all asked this and came for no other reason. When those who came to have their hands read asked for anything else, they nevertheless always came to the point in time and asked to be ridden of someone. And when I gave those who came to me for that purpose my usual answer, that those they wished to be rid of would die when it pleased God, they told me that I was not very clever. (laughs) So basically they're all like, Oh, I really want you to read my fortune. I'm really hoping that you're going to tell me that my husband will die very soon. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yep. Is my husband going to die mm-hmm. soon? And then she's like, 
only when God wants him to. And yeah. they're like, fuck you, that's they're not like, what I want to hear. <laughs> they're like, could have figured that out for myself. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks very much for nothing. Thanks for nothing, lady. But this pretty much did actually become, and often they were known as inheritance poisons. So they were inheritance yes. poisons. So they were poisons that you went out and purchased so that you could kill off whoever stood in the way of your inheritance, yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you could be rid of them. So it became this real power struggle of people trying to poison <laughs> off everyone that they could possibly poison off. And it became a really, really lucrative business. Oh my God. That's so, that's amazing. I can't believe I didn't know about this. <laughs> So I'm shocked that I've never come across the affair of the poisonings before. So the poison business was big business. Boy, booming. So as I said, this uh, particular woman, she was the first one to really be accused of it and to go down. And she admitted to using arsenic and vitriol, which was basically like sulfuric acid. Vitriol. Was it yeah. called vitriol? It was called vitriol, which is, I assume, where we get the word vitriol from. I would from. assume so, yeah. I mean, that makes, again, etymology, that makes sense. Yeah. She also admitted to using venom of toads oh. as poisons to kill but her she victims. made that up. She made that up. Yeah, so rumours of poisoning became rife. And everybody sort of kind of started to get a little bit paranoid about this. And well, Louis, Yeah, Louis got paranoid about it as well. Rumours of poisoning became pretty big news. Now, Louis, it's important here as well just to take a, a pause and talk about Louis and his many lovers because this is yeah. also important in the affair of the poisons. Of course. So Louis had a lot of lovers and at about the time that he moved to Versailles, he had fallen madly in love with a woman called Louise de Vallière. And this was his first mistress. Now, as the king, he had a wife, right? Wait, his first mistress? This was How his, old okay. was he? This was his first declared mistress. Okay, sure. Now, yeah. declared mistress is an actual genuine title. Really? This is a thing you actually get to be. So, wow. Louis, Louis had a wife, of course. He was married to Maria Therese of Spain. Yeah. And that's his wife for his heirs. For his children. And also for his connection to Spain. Yeah. You know, to bolster up his connections to other countries, etc., etc. Yeah. Maria Therese is his the legitimate official wife. official wife. Yeah. But he also gets to have himself of his course. second wife. His mistress. <sighs> Whereas if you're Louis the Fourteenth, you also have a thousand other mistresses. But anyway. Yeah, but you have your, your main You mistress, have your main lady. Your, main bae. your declared mistress. Your and so Louise de Vallier became his first declared mistress. And he pretty much fell in love with her at the same time that he was falling in love with Versailles and moving the court there. But I'm not entirely sure why this happened, but at one point she left him and went yeah. elsewhere. She not, probably had another lover of her own too. Probably. Or probably a husband as well. Yeah. Her own husband. She was only 17 as well, I should say, okay. when she started up as his mistress. But he begged her return and come back to him, and eventually she sort of did. And so there would have been quite a lot of women who hated her and wanted her dead, right? So we're thinking about poisoning. We're thinking about who wants who dead. So while she was away, the king moved on to a Madame de Montespan, right? Uh-huh. Now, Montespan was known for being quite a beauty, obviously, because, I mean, that's what a king's looking for. He can. Um, yeah. But she was also known for being exceedingly intelligent yeah. and exceedingly witty. Good. Now, wit, Excellent. wit was such an important thing in the court. Oh, in the court it was... Beauty and then wit. That's yeah. really all that's required. Or of you. actually, the other way around. Wit first. Yeah, wit, true. Wit was, even, actually. wit was even more important than yep. beauty. Yeah. If you were witty, 
then you went straight to Because you the want top. to make them all laugh while you you're do. playing your cards. You do. You want to, you want to make you an do. impression. So Montespan actually sort of ingratiated herself with the Queen, became rather friendly with the Queen. Marie Therese. And yeah, yes, Marie Therese. Before she went, she also ingratiated herself with La Vallée. Oh, yeah. And she did this knowing that if she was friendly with them, yeah. like... She's like hedging her bets, getting in on both bets. sides. But also knowing that the more she's around them, eventually she'll end up in the eye line yeah. of the king yeah. at some point. And he'll notice her and then she'll be in with the king. Yeah. Because, I mean, Louis Fourteenth, he's the sun king. He's basically a god on earth. Yes. You want to fuck the god on earth. Such luscious locks. That's what me. you want. Such well, luscious locks. Well, they were not locks. real, but... Anyway. But everybody wants to fuck the god on earth, right? Yeah. And even if that's your wife fucking the god on earth, you don't really care. No, you're just like, wife, please, please fuck the king. Fuck the king. The king wants to fuck you, wife. Please go fuck the king right now. Because the great thing about that is that when the king was done with you, he wasn't like bloody Henry in England, when the king was done with you, he would usually be like, oh, thanks so much for that. Uh, look, I really enjoyed yeah. our time together. Have this manor house in you the were countryside. Really, look, it didn't work out between us, but, you know, like, if you'd like to be a duchess. Yeah, yeah. Have some titles. Here's, I've got some land. You can have this. Look, I'll give your husband. You basically got a promotion. Some, yeah, yeah. You slept with the king, and if it didn't work out, you got promoted. Yeah. That's basically what happened. It was a win-win situation. So everybody wanted to fuck the king. Montespan eventually gets to do that. She gets in his eyeline and that's fine. And then when Vallière comes back, there's kind of this suggestion that the layout of the palace meant that in order for Louis to go to the bedroom of Montespan to fuck her, he had to go through, go through his wife's Vallier. bedroom. He had to go through Vallière's bedroom. bedroom to get into Montespan's yeah, because bedroom. Because when I was in Versailles, the weird thing that I found is like there's no hallways upstairs. No. All the bedrooms just have doors that connect yeah. to each other. So you've got to go through the bedrooms. Well, you can thank the Spanish for that. The Spanish basically gave us hallways because that's what corridors are. That's yeah. Corridor. It's a Spanish word. Oh. They gave us hallways. Before that, it was just rooms connected just to rooms. rooms. Yeah. Anyway, he would have to go through her bedroom to get to Mont. It'd be like, oh, sorry, hey, so hey, Joe, just gonna, just off to fuck Montespan. <laughs> See ya. Oh. Awkward. So um, Montespan was an incredibly jealous woman. Oh yeah. So okay. so jealous, and she didn't like the fact that Louis, even though he's married to a queen and had, it, she didn't like him having other affairs because you accept the queen though because you know that that's their duty they have no choice about that they have to be married to the king but if you're the main mistress you assume that that's that's the same thing as you having a relationship because that's it's like well i have to be married but i choose you yeah and that's supposed to be your your real relation like the one that you are actually genuine about yeah so i would actually in her position i would be more jealous of another lover than i would of the queen yeah and rightly so, because he's come to you for something that he's lacking in his yeah. relationship with his And the only thing that's really fucked up about that is that the queen can't do the same thing. Because she's in, stuck in a loveless marriage, only she doesn't get quite so much freedom. No, because she, you can't take the risk that she's going to have somebody else's kid. Even though they did. Yeah, but that's a risk, man. It's much more of a risk. So what happens next is that Louis takes on another mistress as well. So I know. Really, Miss Wars is a harem? Yes, pretty much. He takes on a woman called Fontange. 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 I'm sorry, French people. And funnily enough, she's the opposite of Montespan because Montespan was famously witty and Fontage was famously fucking so stupid. So, so stupid. But I bet all the others had a really great time. 
making fun of her. Yeah. Oh, that's awful. Yeah. Well, she was described as being as dull as a basket, I think. As dull as a basket. That's pretty much how she was. That's yeah. funny, though, because baskets, like, actually are kind of spiky. <laughs> like, they're woven from, like straw and bamboo or whatever it is that they're woven from and the little bits stick out and no, they're spiky that's not the, the little kind. bits where they like go together that's not the kind what that she kind? was no she was just a, she was a dull basket she was just a really dull basket she was more like a green bag that you, that you get at the local supermarket you know so an eco bag she was like an eco bag just a dull eco bag <laughs> Anyway, a lawyer lost a bit of interest in Montespan and fell for dull old Fontage, who, luckily for her, happened to be absolutely beautiful. Of course. I mean, yes, that's right. So he took up with her, and Montespan's jealousy really consumed her. And so the suggestion is, is that Montespan had actually, remember old Catherine, who this whole episode was supposed I to was be about? I was going to say, I'm assuming yeah. that she's going to come back into this whole affair at some point. Yes, so. that's right. The rumor went that Montespan had actually been seeing Catherine before she ever took up with Louis yep. and getting potions and having spells cast that might make Louis favour her, right? Of course, yep, yep. So, and eventually he did. So the suggestion is that Montespan thought, well, oh, well, this works nicely. Yeah. Great. So when she finally did get together with Louis, she continued to return to Catherine for all of her help that she needed because she believed that Catherine could actually assist her in keeping Louis on side. Yeah. So she also decided that she wanted Fontage out of the way. Now, when I say this, this is all speculation <laughs> as well, right? Okay, oh, this yeah. is the way that things have been written down in the historical record, but... Well, I'm assuming that we they weren't, like, writing it down as it was. Like, I'm sure no one was transcribing their secret meetings where they were, like, plotting to off, you know, the yeah, mistress. that's right. So this is all accusations that came out later. Yeah. It's all information that comes Hearsay out later. Hearsay rumours, that kind of thing. So the theory is that she went to Catherine and asked her if she could help her with finding some way to be rid of Fontange and even... Finding some way to kill Louis himself. Whoa. All right. Whoa, that's dangerous. That's big, next level. Big steps forward, right? So the suggestion is, is that Catherine originally was like, oh, I'm not so sure if we should do that. But yeah. she was convinced that that was the way to go. So she decided she would help Montespan in her quest. Now, there are a few suggestions of the ways that they thought to come up with this. I think there's a suggestion somewhere of them trying to do the old, like, poison a bolt of cloth or poison a set of gloves and send them off to her. And she would be so, of course, she would so desperately want to wear the gloves. so beautiful. That's so beautiful. And then she'd so desperately want to wear the cloth that she would be poisoned. But the actual legitimacy of how you might kill somebody through poisoning a yeah, I don't know how that works, actually. I don't know if it does work. I mean, this is a recurring theme in lots of mythology, but yeah. the actual the actual legitimate way that it works out, I, I'm not sure if Maybe it does. Maybe they just read too much Perot. This was one of the suggestions of what they might do. They might make this um, particular bolt of cloth for Fontage to wear. But as for Louis, they devised this idea that Vasson would make a petition because you could you could see the king if you had a petition and you yes. took the petition to court. Yeah. The king would see you so you could make a petition, right? Yep. Your claim, your question, whatever. So Vasson made a petition and apparently poisoned <gasps> the paper that the, the papier. that the petition was written on. Le papier. Le papier. And turned up at court 
hoping that she could deliver it into the hands of Louis Mon and Dieu. thus poison him. Sacre Mon Dieu. Mon Dieu. Dieu. Sacre bleu. But oh, no. the day she went to court, there were too many people. Everybody was get there. Everyone was there with a petition. And she didn't get through to give <sighs> her petition over to the king. So she went home again, having not been able to give over her petition. So instead she gave the petition to her daughter, not to poison her daughter, but just said, gave it to her and told her to throw it in the fire and get rid of it. Like, yeah. destroy the evidence. And then... What? Would then, she have been wearing, like, super gloves herself so the, sh- the, well, the, the petition doesn't poison her? When she gave it to her daughter, was she like... Don't touch the just petition. Use some just tongs. Yeah, put get some tongs on there and chuck it straight in the fire, yeah. and then don't breathe in the smoke. And then also hoping that when Louis takes it, Louis's not wearing gloves. Yeah, I don't know, but this is the oh, theory. Flaws in his plan. Look, don't question it, Lauren. It's history. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh no, that means it's truth. And when it's something is history, you should just believe it. Yes, of All course. Right. That's, uh, that is what traditionally we are. Don't the, question history. In the academy. Even though that's <laughs> what we spend a lot of our time doing. Anyway, so she went home, got rid of the evidence. And then the next morning she thought to herself, you know what, maybe this was a mistake. I might just go to church and, you know, pray for my sins yet again. So she went to church and as she was leaving, she was arrested. Oh. Word had got about that Vasson, Catherine Lavasson might be in on some poisoning. She was a part of the affair of the poisons. Yes. So after her arrest, there was a search of her premises and apparently revealed lots of different magical powders, oh. um, venomous potions, sacrilegious objects. Like, oh. Yeah, like grimoires. Grimoires. Yeah. And black books, which are sort of like necromancers books yes. or, you know, books of the That's devil. like spell books. Sp- spell books. As well as sort of other paraphernalia, um, like black taper candles, crosses, incense, all of this sort of stuff. Yes. And also... Things that you'll find in any good woman's bedroom. Pretty much. Yeah. Any teenage girl's bedroom. uh, Yeah. Yeah. For real. There was also an oven. And what? Yeah, there was an oven. Houses have ovens. Yes. Like <laughs> I know, that sounds true, doesn't it? Like, a lot of houses have ovens. But apparently, <laughs> this oven was a bit of a mysterious oven because it was outside in um, sort of like a bit of a garden pavilion. Like, it wasn't in the house itself. And apparently, I actually thought it would be maybe more common for you to have the oven outside. In the garden rather than in the house itself. Yeah. Well, it depends how big your house is. Well, this one was described as mysterious. It was a mysterious oven. It was. And maybe this... it's just a pizza oven. Like, maybe they just hadn't seen a pizza oven before. <laughs> no, in France. What is this? What is this crazy Italian stuff? Maybe her husband was Italian. He wasn't. So. <laughs> but the pizza oven was apparently the pizza oven in which it was claimed that she would dispose of the remains of the infant's that she used in her black masses. Oh, my God. I really – I didn't want to interrupt you, but I just desperately wanted to say, let me guess, fetuses. Yeah. So yeah. infants and fetuses. That's right. I'm assuming. So we're getting to, oh, we're getting to black masses, <gasps> which because I've been researching this for a while now, I've had – I just keep getting war pigs in my head because the word black masses just makes you have to sing war pigs. But that's fine. That's unrelated to everything else. But I wonder how much that has to do with, you did say that she was a practicing midwife. And this is a very common accusation against midwives because, of course, 
look, midwifery was not an exact science back then and childbirth was extremely dangerous and a lot of like grieving husbands, it was very easy to point fingers at midwives as being to blame. And of course, this association you make from that is, well, if they're killing all of these babies, what are they going to do with them? It must be for the Black Mass. Yeah. So thus, all these women must be witches. And it's just this cycle that kind of Mm. perpetuates. Well, apparently there were hundreds and hundreds of bones found in her backyard. For real, though? Yeah, well, again, for real. How do we know? This is what the records show. And that these obviously were the remains of the children that, she had either aborted, aborted, yeah. But there was also around about the same time there was a bit of hysteria, and there was sort of like a, a brief affair where children went missing, what? and there was like this hysteria around all of these children that went missing, so and it's... lots and lots of women like Catherine were accused of having abducted children. In fact, there was even one claim that she set up. And again, the historical evidence for this is slim. This is mere hearsay that she set up a home for single mothers solely so she could take their children and put their children and kill them and use them in her black masses. So with Catherine, I mean, I've actually just been kind of going on the basis that I usually do, which is that she was just a woman who was like very entrepreneurial, good at fortune telling, a bit of like maybe herbalism, uh, midwifery and abortion on the side because that's what you kind of do to make a living. But that she's just getting on with life, being a good woman, doing her service to the community, helping out women who don't have much help, who can't afford to feed babies or are out of wedlock or whatever, or helping them to legitimately birth their children and is innocent of the accusations against her. But is this actually the case? Is it actually that the that she's innocent or is it actually that the jury's out and maybe she really was practicing, like maybe not even practicing witchcraft, but maybe was holding black masses and like, sacrificing children? Yeah, like Look if at, there really, if there were bones found in a... But if there were bones... Because if you're aborting, the, the level of abortion that a midwife would be helping you with is not when the fetus would have bones yet like it wouldn't be you know the like herbalistic abortion the type that they did back then it's not surgical we're talking about like before the three month mark here that's interesting you should say that because also in the court documents is the suggestion that one of the other people who was a witness in because we've gotten to the point where she's arrested right so she's going to trial so in the trial a question was asked of how she would perform her abortions on women and one of the witnesses said that she would basically use water in a syringe and everything depended on the way that the syringe was used and the question was asked uh, up until what stage of the pregnancy could she do that the answer was given that really up to any time especially if the person who was asking uh was aristocracy or was a person of quality who needed to preserve their honor as long as she could feel the baby moving before (gasps) using her remedy she will make the baby come out and baptize him or her then she herself brings the baby in a box to the grave digger to whom she gives a coin of 30 cents in order to bury him slash her in a corner of the cemetery without telling the priest or anyone else right so, so this, that's this, actually quite different but then. this is somebody else's accusation yes. against her all right yes. so again it's hearsay it's hearsay but if she was able to do that up until a point 
later on in her pregnancy, then it might then account it, for why she had so many bones in yeah, the backyard. Yeah, yeah. Because even, that's abnormal. Yeah. But even if she had bones in the... But, I mean, the question is, did she even have bones in the backyard? Yeah, yeah. They may not have been. I mean, this of is course, still that's an, an accusation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Still, and because the thing was is that at this time, all of these women were being arrested, right? Yeah. So everyone who, who was a midwife, everyone who dabbled in fortune-telling, all these women were being rounded up and arrested and charged with witchcraft. And, I mean, they weren't all friends with each other. They Heaps of them were enemies. and Because they were competition they were with competition. each other. Yeah. Um, and Catherine, one of her arch rivals was a woman named Marie Boss, who was also a fortune teller, yeah. a sorceress, etc., etc. And when they were all basically rounded up, they ratted on each other. She ratted yeah. on her and, like, put these accusations out against her because it was basically her arch rival. Yeah. So, again, the question of, you know, where the truth lies is it's a very, very thin line of, yeah. of truth. And also this, what happened was, of course, with a lot of these women, they were, were tortured um, yeah, yeah, yeah. in order yeah. to admit to things that they probably really hadn't done. Yeah, and it's all escalates as well. Like as soon as the finger starts being pointed anywhere near you, you've got to like get it far away from you as possible. So of course you're going to keep amping up the level of evidence against someone else. Of course you're going to make it seem like, no, but she is so much worse than me. She is so much, she has bones of babies in her backyard. Like, I mean, that's natural. Yeah. That you're, Mm -hmm. it's a self-defense thing to cast everybody's eyes elsewhere. And all these ideas, all these stories started to circulate about what the black masses that she held were. So there was this suggestion that these black masses, Catherine would, would preside over them. The altar would be a naked woman. Yeah. In the case of when Montespan came, she acted as the altar herself. Right. So you, you lay the naked wo- woman out. She's the altar on which you place the chalice. In the chalice goes things like bat's blood and menstrual blood and semen and yeah. and flour. Flour. And flour. Didn't see that coming, did you? You've got to thicken it up. Got to thicken it up with something. Coagulate it. But this was also when the infant's throat would be slit oh, and the infant blood would be poured into According the to... According to some. Yeah. According to some. So this was what the black mass was. And because it was still a mass, it was still tied up with Catholicism. Yes. It was like the dark version yes, of what you inversion. would go to the... It's yeah, the inverted inversion. mass. Exactly. Yeah. And so these are the stories that started to circulate around about her, about how she performed these black masses, how she killed all these infants, how she sacrificed them And it's interesting because you mentioned that in terms of the words that are used, sorceress versus witch, I wonder if that word witch is used because of that association with the black mass because I think the witchcraft has much more of an association with that pact with the devil and the inverted black mass, whereas a sorceress is really just a powerful supernatural woman. Yeah. Who's yeah. capable of calling on the forces of the earth. Yeah, nature. Nature, mm-hmm. yeah. Like fortune telling is, I guess, a sorceress thing. Witchcraft is taking your power from the devil. Yes, that's right. Yeah, and from those dark and evil forces. Yeah. It's an evil thing. So this is kind of, before we got to this point, we we're talking about her in terms of, you know, this is how she lived her life. She did fortune telling. She did palm reading. This was all legitimate ways of making a living. But, of course, then we get to all this furor and all of this conspiracy and controversy and she becomes this dark figure of evil witchcraft which is so different to the Catherine that we're talking about before so she was put on trial and orders were given to torture her for confession but 
the historical records suggest that she was not tortured. Right. And the reason she wasn't tortured was because Louis was terrified that she would start to name drop all of the wealthy aristocracy that she oh. that had come to her in the past as clients. Yeah. If she was to start spouting out names and start making confessions. Right. So Louis didn't want her to start confessing about everybody and anybody. Because she was too involved in that scene. Exactly. Because she was too involved. Because it's all very well and good when you're torturing a peasant woman. Yeah, who just, like, helps out the local peasants yeah. around them. But she'd worked her way up into the upper echelons. She sure had. So the suggestion is that she actually wasn't tortured to confess. In the end, she did confess to having sinned. To having sinned. She did confess to having sinned. And she did admit towards the end of her interrogations, in her last interrogations, that Paris was full of this kind of thing and there was an infinite number of people engaged in this evil trade and that she was involved in trying to poison or kill particular people. I don't think she ever admitted to having actually killed anyone, but I think she admitted to having helped people. Yeah, like she's provided the means. Yes, she did eventually admit to actually providing the means for people to actually try to poison. So she didn't drop any names. She did ask for absolution from God and she did ask for her sins to be forgiven. But a lot of this as well is I think because what eventually happens is she knew she wasn't getting out of it anyway. Yeah. She, she knew she was not going to get let off. You don't really get let off for that kind of thing. No. <laughs> and even if she hadn't performed black masses, she still had definitely performed abortions. Yeah. And this could even be what she's referring to when she says that I have sinned. That's what I read into it as well. Yeah. Is that some of, the, some of the services she did provide were legitimately seen as sins. Yeah, like... Yes, providing abortions and providing the herbs or the knowledge to help somebody try to kill someone else. Yeah, exactly. So she did admit to those particular kinds of crimes and she did ask for absolution for God for those particular acts that she'd taken. But, of course, in the end, she was sentenced to death because you pretty much don't get accused of being a witch and not get sentenced to death. Not unless you uh, die in prison. Well, yeah, you can die in prison (laughs) first, that's true. But sadly for Catherine, she was sent to be burned at the stake. God, the French did do that. They really did do that. So she was sent to be burned at the stake in 1680. Do you know what, though? I do just want to clarify part of that burning at the stake thing is that you actually were burnt usually either unconscious or after you had been killed in another way. Oh, well, yeah, but... But not in this case? But, well, no, just because this... I've got a little description. Oh, God. All right. Let's hear it. Again, this is from the court records. Spectators saw her as she went to the execution. She apparently... She pushed away the priest and refused to take his last blessing and that um, when she was put up on top of the straw... Five or six times she pushed aside the straw, but finally the flames leapt up, enveloped her, and she was lost to sight. Jeez. So the suggestion that she was definitely conscious when she went to the stake. Fuck. That's just the worst thing in the world. So Catherine sadly went to a horrible demise. Montespan, who's really the other character in this whole story, she lived to the ripe old age of 67. Oh, yeah. Yeah, as she did. Because after the whole thing blew over, after this whole affair, and you know what? Something like 36 people were burnt at the stake during this whole affair of the poison. It's not surprising. A lot of people 
yeah. went to their deaths because of this. Catherine oh, is Catherine is only so many thoughts about this. Catherine is only one of the people that we could have looked at when we're talking yeah. about, and this is why this story has jumped around because there's a lot of people implicated in it, and I've picked Catherine just as a particular example, yeah. but so many other women went the same way. So yeah, the Marquesa de, de Montespan, she actually ended up reconciling with King Louis and she went off to retirement in a convent, lived to a ripe old age of 67. Yeah, in a convent, of course. In a convent, of course. So she actually came out of it all right. Well, that's what happens with you. Good old Montespan. It's interesting. Oh, God, so many women were burnt at the stake in France in the 1600s. But I was under the part of my PhD was about Victorian spiritualism. The other part of my PhD was about witchcraft in France in the 1600s. That was actually a tricky thing when I was writing the book is because everything that I read suggested that the women were at least given some kind of drug so that they wouldn't be completely conscious when they were tied to the stake. Well, I mean, she could have been given a drug and still pushed the straw out of the way. Yeah. I don't know, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, perhaps not. Perhaps she was... That's awful. That's horrible. I can't think of anything worse. Maybe let's not dwell on it. (laughs) Let's just stick our heads in the sand. This is the thing, though, isn't it? Because it's a perfect example of women taking too much agency, taking too much power, being too entrepreneurial, being too able to get by in the world by themselves. And the witch, because we've talked about this a lot. Yeah. Lauren and I talk about this a lot. We talk about witchcraft a lot. We do. (laughs) We do. And this idea of the witch has been sort of taken back as this very powerful, empowering kind of idea because it it really actually was about women being able to find their own way of getting by in the yeah, world. Yeah. It really legitimately was. About having agency and about having the ability to have your own money and make decisions about your own life and not relying on a husband. Yeah, yeah. So in that regard, when we think about Catherine, when we think about the first part of her life before she got tied up with this affair of the poisons, that's yeah. really what she was doing. Yeah. But unfortunately, I mean, if she really was procuring poisons for people, then look... We, it's not like we could put her on a pedestal and say, yeah, it's an empowering, like, you know, sure. like helping people poison their husbands is like pretty dubious. It's not a great thing to do. But again, but we don't know whether or not she really did do no, that. No, we don't. I know. I, I agree. And because she herself said that she didn't really believe that she had any power over whether people would live or die. Yeah. She legitimately believed that was in God's hands. Yeah. So it is a really difficult story to tell because her story starts to get changed and it starts to change and morph when it comes to the trials. And, this and is unfortunately, the, yeah. the trials... Were written by male transcribers. They were. And also, they end up being the really the only places, the only documents where we find yeah, these that's people right. existing. That's right. Okay, so even if you've got a transcriber in the courtroom, it's still being filtered through... It's coming from the torture that has occurred Mm. in the prison beforehand and it's coming from, like, even if you've got the verbatim words of the victims in the stands, like, that's not their real story even when it gets to that point Mm. because they've still been through so much of a traumatic process to get to the courtroom in the first place that it's so, so hard to uncover what the truth was and what was actually happening because no one could 
right for themselves. No one was that. Well, they couldn't it. tell their own stories. And the only reason that this much is documented about her is because she went to trial. Yeah. If she'd just gone on to live her life happily telling fortunes and done that to a ripe old age supporting her family, we, we never would we would know her. nothing yeah. about her. She only exists in historical records because she went to trial, because yeah. she was arrested, because all of these fanciful tales well if fanciful we don't know whether they were true or not but because all of these rather exciting and elaborate and dramatic stories started to circulate about her that's the only reason she exists in the historical record case of rumors that are getting bigger and bigger and growing out of control and accusations and counter accusations and trying to pass the blame off on somebody else and being like hey it wasn't me oh you think i'm bad well she she slits the throats of babies and then drinks their blood like why are you looking at me look at her like it's all very much the only reason that these women end up being part of a historical record whatsoever is because they're seen as evil and demonic. Yeah. Because why would we care about them otherwise, yeah. Lauren? Why would they yeah. even be documented yeah. for any other reason? Like, totally. That's what we're here for. <laughs> That's our job. Our sigh of... <sighs> this is why we're feminist revisionists. To try and tell their stories. Yes. Actually... To dig up these stories and try to give them new light and try to uncover what's missing in between read between the lines and mm. you know but you know the story of a, a rags to riches story of a young girl who moves to paris becomes a fortune teller and then lives a happy life doesn't exist that's <laughs> it's not best-selling material uh. no so there you have it that's Catherine. Love us on. That was a great story, though. I I didn't know about the affair of the poisons, which is surprising. So um, I feel like now I should watch Versailles because I feel like this would be definitely something that gets covered in that. Surely it has to get covered. We in should that. watch it because there's so much there. And the reason I wanted to talk about Catherine was because Louis and his lovers they get a bit of airtime. Yeah, you know you can find out a lot about them elsewhere. So mm. hopefully Catherine was a bit of a new figure to add to the mix. So thank you for coming on this journey with us once again. It's always a journey. It is. Yep. Back in time. <laughs> Through the mists of time. Hopefully you'll come on a journey with us again in another two weeks when we have our next episode. Uh, in the meantime, you could journey through time. You could journey into the past and catch up on all of Ooh, the episodes you missed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and if you like what you hear and you'd like to subscribe, please do. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, Potable, Good. SoundCloud. Some stuff. Just your favourite podcasting app. I'm sure we're on it. Yeah, find it. We're there. And if you would like to um, help us with the show, we love our Patreons who support us and give us their love in monetary form. <laughs> we are on Patreon. It's a beautiful way to show a, love. Yeah. We also have merch on Etsy. And if you want to follow us on the social medias, you can find us on Twitter. We are at DeviantWomen. You can like us on Facebook. And we've recently joined Instagram. So come and join us on Instagram. Hooray. And I think that pretty much wraps us up for this week. It certainly does. Thank you once again. And we'll see you next time. See you in a fortnight. Bye. Bye.